What's going on, good people, and welcome to another episode of Live by the Three, a Raptors podcast with your boy Curly. Big shout out to new and returning listeners. I appreciate every single one of you for tuning in. Now, this marks episode 29, and time flies certainly when you're having fun, and it, this has been an enjoyable experience and journey up until this point, and I appreciate every single one of you once again for being a part of this journey. Continue with the plays, the listens, the likes, the follows. It is greatly appreciated, and again, thank you for being a part of this journey. Now, this August has been a very exciting one, and it contradicts what I've previously mentioned in other episodes that normally we're reaching the quiet part of the calendar year in relation to basketball content, but it definitely has not been the case this time around with the summer games being back, and I'm referring to the Pro-Am games, the Rico Hine runs, the Drew Leagues, the crossover, whatnot, the roster moves that continue to happen, and more particularly the Rico Hines runs being ran by assistant coach Rico Hines, where a lot of the Raptors have been spending their time there lately going against the likes of James Hard, Martin Charles Harrell, and obviously against their fellow teammates. But the Raptors have been busy this summer, and obviously we've been linked to a multitude of trade rumors revolving around Donovan Mitchell and most notably Kevin Durant. Let's quickly recap what the Raptors have accomplished up until this point, starting with the unfortunate cut of Armani Brooks. I do believe his contract was fully guaranteed as of August 1st, so they had to do something. And after a very... I hate to say this, but it was a very underwhelming performance in the Summer League that did not come as a surprise to me when they let him go, especially with the emergence of Jeff Dowden. Delano Banton has shown improvement that Amarni Brooks was the odd man out, and I had big aspirations for him. I definitely felt that he was going to be a Lou Will type of player, and I definitely do feel that he can be that type of player with his ability to shoot the basketball and his ability to compete on the defensive side of the ball that any team could benefit from bringing him on on a camp deal and it'll definitely be a a low risk high reward type of scenario for him if he's able to live up to his potential again sad to see him go but i understood what the raptors are trying to accomplish and there's obviously a change in direction they also feel that there are players better suited to what the Raptors are trying to accomplish right now and unfortunately Armani Brooks does not fit the mold anymore but I wish him all the best and definitely hope to see him in the league at some point in terms of signing the Raptors have signed Michigan State forward Gabe Brown who is 6'8 215 pounds he signed an exhibit 10 deal which is most likely putting him on the path of G League play for the Raptors 905. Definitely a developmental type of deal. He averaged just under 12 points per game while at Michigan State, just on, shooting just under 43% from the field and 38% from three. He's been described as an athletic wing who can score in a variety of ways and a very good outside shooter intent who has a tremendous passion for the game and for me the takeaway is a tremendous passion for the game the raptors pride themselves on picking quality guys high character guys and if you have a tremendous passion kind of fits the mold as to what the raptors are trying to build in terms of culture and when asked about his game 
models it after the likes of Cam Johnson and Joe Harris, which is a welcome sight because the Raptors desperately need shooting. And if you're modeling your game after two great shooters, chances are you're shooting the basketball at a very high clip. So welcome, Gabe Brown. And last but definitely not least, the Raptors signed Juancho Hernan Gomez, aka Bo Cruz, to a guaranteed one-year deal. And if you don't understand the Bo Cruz reference, he played a basketball player by the name of Bo Cruz in the Netflix movie Hustle, starring Adam Sandler. And Adam Sandler was a scout for the 76ers, and he was basically working for his job. And he had to go out there and find the next best thing. And it turned out to be Juancho Hernan Gomez, a.k.a. Bo Cruz. And in that movie, they made him to look like an absolute superstar. And if he can bring 50% of that to the Raptors, it'll be a welcome addition because he, he looked absolutely phenomenal. And Anthony Edwards is in it, a, along with other familiar NBA personalities and players. If you enjoy basketball, definitely check out the movie Hustle. That's my free plug that Netflix will know nothing about. But anyways, in 17 games with the Jazz, Hernan Gomez averaged just around 6 points and 3 rebounds per game. In my opinion, he has a slight edge over the competition, more particularly DJ Wilson. Because of the fact that he has a guaranteed deal, it's not a promise, but in terms of his skill set and what he's bringing to the table... While he has bounced around, he has the experience, and I think in his case, he's just looking for the opportunity to play, and maybe he gets that with the Raptors. As you can tell, the Raptors have done pretty well when dealing with power forwards and centers, so hopefully it can be beneficial for both parties and we can benefit from his skill set and i do again i do believe he's a 35 percent shooter from three so another shooter on a team that needs shooters will be greatly appreciated so once again welcome to wancho and gabe brown now i want to focus on a particular topic that has really been bothersome to me lately and uh, more particularly from the end of the season and as the trade rumors come about and potential roster moves that these two players are not getting the appreciation and the respect that they deserve and i'm talking about fred van vliet aka freddie all-star and gary trent jr two of our best shooters if not our two best shooters on this team and i'm going to start with gary trent jr he had a career season this year putting up 18 points per game, shooting around 85% from the free throw line, a career high in steals at 1.7, playing a career high in minutes at 35 a game. Now, in preparing for this point, I found this out and I was shocked to say the least that Gary Trent Jr. was a top 20 scorer against top 5 defenses. While he did round out the list of 20, he shares a list with LeBron, KD, Giannis, Luca, Booker, Steph, and Embiid, just to name a few. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be one of those players, and maybe he can. Anything is possible. Don't want to discredit or downplay anyone's ability. But the fact that he is on that list goes to show how much he means to the Raptors, especially in a half-court setting. Not only did he do his thing on the offensive side, he improved defensively. 
He's in 97th percentile in creating turnovers, a 94th percentile in deflections. He's a top three in total deflections, loose balls recovered, and was first in percentage of defensive loose balls recovered. So what does that mean? He is hustling, not only on the offensive side of the ball, but the defensive side. Now, with the good, there is some bad, and just like anything else. He's not a great finisher around the rim. He definitely needs a layup package. Does not get to the line enough. While he did shoot 85% from the free throw line, he's averaging just under three attempts per game. And he does gamble quite a bit on defense. Now, that's not a knock against him because OG Ananobi also gambles on defense. So there is a trade-off. You got to take the good with the bad. But for what he lacks in size and consistency on a defensive side of the ball, you're definitely going to get that on the offensive side of the ball. Now, it is a contract year. Normally, the stigma is any player is going to be balling out in a contract year because they want that big payday. But I can't seem to wrap my head around the idea that we need to trade him now because it's going to cost us later when we can definitely benefit from his skill set. And if the Raptors are trying to win and the Raptors are trying to contend, and you have a player that can give you 18 on average, but can also go off for 30 and 40 on any given night, and that's pretty much the entire Raptors makeup, why would you want to rob yourself of a player of that ability? Now, if he goes in a trade for Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell, then obviously it's addressing a need at that point, and you will have to give assets in order to get assets in, in return but in any case he's an important part of this team he shouldered the load battled through injuries he was also very missed when he wasn't a hundred percent especially in the Sixers series we definitely could have benefited from not only a healthy Gary Trent Jr. but also a healthy Fred Van Vliet but let's have a little bit more appreciation for what Gary Trent Jr. means to this team. And in terms of appreciation, I mean, Fred Van Vliet. Being undrafted, literally working for everything that he's had, having a career season, and becoming an all-star. And because of one bad matchup, and the Raptors were able to win without him, automatically means that Fred Van Vliet is not important to this team. Again, does not make sense. And let me remind you that in the first 50 games of the season, he was putting up almost 22 points per game, 7 assists on 40% shooting from 3. Not only was he giving it his all on the offensive end, he still remained top 10 in steals in the league while playing heavy minutes alongside Pascal at just under 38 minutes per game. Now, while those numbers dipped post-All-Star, if Fred Van Vliet didn't start the season off the way that he did and put us in a position to win as Pascal worked his way back from injury, we probably wouldn't have been in the playoffs. We most likely would have been in a play-in, and who knows how that might have played out. I truly believe that a healthy Raptors squad and a healthy Fred Van Vliet would have beaten the Philadelphia 76ers. I stand on that, and I will maintain my position on that thought. But let's talk about what he means to this team. And 
we should already know. And what he's accomplished up until this point is, has been nothing short of a fantastic career up until this point. But he is one of the best shooters in the association. And while being only open on 10% of his shots, he's still shooting a high clip from three. He's in a 98th percentile in shot making, 99th in shot creation, 99th in perimeter shooting, and he's averaging 26.4 feet in terms of three-point shot distance, which puts him in the 91st percentile. Why would you want to get rid of a player of Fred VanVleet's caliber? Now, obviously, with the emergence of Scotty Barnes and his ability to be a playmaker as well as Pascal, it might take away the responsibilities from Freddie looking to create and not only look for his shot but looking for other opportunities for other players but now he might be able to play more off ball because of Scotty because of Pascal and those numbers can quite possibly be maintained and he can be the deadly catch and shoot option for us that was sorely missed especially against the Sixers so let's put a little bit of respect on Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet's name. There are two best shooters. Now, again, obviously, if we have to trade them in, in order to get uh, a Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell, then we're going to have to deal with the ramifications of those decisions. Because, again, in order to get an asset, you have to give assets. But up until this point, let's not give them away for nothing. Let's quiet down with all these silly mock trades where we're, we're trading for role players or contract relief just for the sake of doing it because i find it very hard to believe that the way that the team is constructed at this present moment that we will find success without the assistance of fred van vliet and gary Trent jr now before we move on to our next raptors topic i want to talk about the pro-am games and if you're unaware of what Pro-Am stands for, it's professional amateur games, and in this case, professional amateur basketball. Now, what happens is that NBA players go to local recreational leagues like the Drew League, the Crossover, and there's many others, and play essentially pick up basketball. It might mean something to the league, to the league organizers in terms of standings and whatnot, but all in all, it's a pickup game for these professionals. The one thing that I don't like when people are discussing these pro-am games is downplaying the significance of these games. I think from a community standpoint, it means the world to some of these communities and to the, to the families and children that live in these communities because some may not have the opportunity or the, the finances to attend a professional NBA game and to see stars and superstars up close for a fraction of the price or quite possibly for free one can only imagine what it means to all those in the communities and also shows the the nba players in a different light that they're not quote unquote too good to be participating in in a pickup game that only seats about 500 people because when they were making a name for themselves they were playing in high school gyms, college gyms, playing up in these pickup leagues before anyone knew who they were and obviously what they are and who they are now. But the one common thing that happens is the disrespect that comes along to not only the NBA players putting on tremendous games as they should, but to the quote-unquote amateur players that 
participate in it. Now, these amateur players may not just be amateurs, they could be semi-pro or professional players overseas. Just because they're not in the NBA doesn't mean that, that they aren't significant in every way of the word. I commend these players. I, I can't imagine what it feels like to wake up Saturday morning or Sunday morning and to see, you know, LeBron James or DeMar DeRozan or Trey Young or Jamal Crawford uh, on the other side of the court and for you to be in that position to have to take the court and to, you know, defend them or, or attempt to get shots off. It's nothing short but admirable. And again, these players should be commended. And I think that any NBA player going to these pickup games and throwing up a 40, 50, 60, 70 piece, to an extent, I can appreciate the idea that it's supposed to be expected because the competition is not up to par, but it's still a very challenging thing to accomplish in basketball. Now, I say all that to say that there needs to be a little bit more appreciation for Malachi Flynn and what he's accomplished in these couple Pro-Am games. In the first Pro-Am game that he played this summer at the crossover in Seattle, he dropped 73 points. And then in the Drew League in Los Angeles, he dropped a 50-piece, knocking down eight threes. And while a lot of people don't use the, the Pro-Am games as a measuring stick to anything, and there is some validity to that thought process, I'm not going to be ignorant to the fact that this kid dropped 50 points and 70 points in a basketball game. Anyone that has witnessed Kobe Bryant scoring 81 points, we should be able to appreciate of how difficult that is, regardless of the competition. Now, basketball is not an easy sport by any means, especially when you don't know how to play. That can be a very discouraging or humbling experience, depending on, on how it goes for you on the basketball court. But this kid can hoop, and I think those two games are a testament to that. While this past season, he did not put up any numbers to rave home about, you know, just averaging around 12 minutes per game, scoring four points per game on 39% shooting from the field and 33% from three, that if given the opportunity, he will ball out. And we saw that on display when he scored 18 points, 15, 11, and 20 when Fred Manvliet was injured for those few games. I also think it's fair to acknowledge that the Raptors haven't done anything, well, the Raptors haven't done Malachi any favors in terms of his development, hence why there has been discussions, and I have had discussions on, on my podcast about writing him off and, and trading him. But as much as the Raptors need to be held accountable for the way that Malachi has progressed up until this point, I think Malachi needs to be accountable for the play that he's had up until this point. I, I can recall many times where he just looked like a deer in headlights when his number was called and moving with a lack of confidence or at least it gives the appearance that he's he's moving with a lack of confidence and i can only imagine what it's like being in a position where you're not expecting to play to all of a sudden your number is called and you got to be ready to go but i would challenge malachi to be ready so you don't have to get ready that regardless if it's five minutes ten minutes or two minutes a game you go out there and you prove your worth and I also feel that the Raptors have a responsibility for putting him in a position to be successful now it's kind of hard for that to be accomplished when one of his strengths is being a pick and roll 
player or a pick and pop type of player and the Raptors don't run pick and roll. So how else can Malachi be impactful and useful to the Raptors while maybe taking away some of the playmaking responsibilities and again with the emergence of Scotty Barnes and the other playmakers on this team that he can quite benefit in a Fred Van Vliet type of role and have these catch and shoot opportunities the competition for him to be a consistent part of the rotation is going to be tough he'll have to have a tremendous training camp in order for him to be considered but again not willing to write him off yet while it's kind of hard to envision where he would fit i think the raptors owe him an opportunity to show what he's capable of doing and one can only hope that Malachi will be up to the task when that opportunity and if, unfortunately, that opportunity presents itself. So I'm rooting for Malachi, so let's see what happens this upcoming season. Before we move on to our look around the association, I want to quickly touch on another podcast, which is the VC show with Vince Carter. And there was a special where he did an interview with former Raptor and current Miami Heat, Kyle Lowry and while listening to it a very important tidbit of information came out it was that before VC retired and during the championship run or before the start of the championship run I should say that Kyle Lowry was trying to get Vince Carter back to the Toronto Raptors and obviously it did not work out and you know, business is business, especially what Kyle Lowry said, business is business, and it just did not work out. But he wanted to have Vince Carter back, and Vince was all in on making his return. Now, I would have loved to have seen Vince Carter, especially during that championship run. It would have brought everything full circle, and for him to quite possibly get a championship with the Raptors and get that storybook ending that Kyle Lowry essentially got with the Raptors would have been tremendous to see. But I do remember vaguely hearing reports that Masai and company were not very interested in terms of having a nostalgia tour that Vince might have been a distraction while the Raptors are trying to contend. I kind of see some validity behind that. Because at that time, the, the Raptors had just traded DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard. And DeMar, obviously, you know, growing with the team and watching him develop that he meant a lot to the fan base. And I just look back at that Instagram post where he said, I got us. And to see him traded, I, I remember it was like a punch in the stomach. From a business standpoint, I can appreciate the idea that Masai didn't want to do that. It, was, it would then give the appearance of saving face as in okay yeah we treated DeMar but we're bringing back Vince Carter so all is forgiven so I can definitely appreciate if that was the case I'm not basing that on anything this is strictly hypothetical but what was also interesting from that podcast episode was that Kyle Lowry was not only receiving his flowers from Vince Carter but he was giving Vince Carter his flowers calling him the greatest Raptor of all time and obviously acknowledging you know, T-Mac, Damon Stoudemire, and Chris Bosh when he was here in terms of other Raptors greats, not just beginning and ending with Kyle Lowry. But Vince brought up a very interesting suggestion where he acknowledged that while Kyle Lowry has his greatness as a Toronto Raptor, 
but so does VC. And he suggested that commenting on the idea that Kyle Lowry is quite possibly going to get a statue outside of Scotiabank Arena, that why not have a statue of both of them? You know, Vince doing his thing, maybe a, uh, his arm in the net or dunking the basketball and Kyle Lowry taking a charge. I think that is a, a brilliant suggestion. I think both those players mean and has meant so much to this franchise that anything short of acknowledging both of them in some capacity as well as DeMar DeRozan is a great disservice to what these guys accomplish as a Toronto Raptor and what it meant to an entire country. If you have not checked it out, definitely check it out. And I would love to hear anyone's comments uh, in terms of what they thought about the podcast and the suggestion of both Kyle Lowry and Vince Carter getting a statue outside of Scotiabank Arena. As we shift our focus from the Raptors and we take a look at around the association, I want to focus on a particular team and a particular subject. And I'm talking about the Brooklyn Nets. Apparently, Brooklyn Nets owner Joe Sy had a quote-unquote private meeting with Kevin Durant and especially in the social media era nothing is private anymore and I was under the impression of Kevin Durant having leverage in this situation and it appears that Kevin Durant thought so too and he went into that meeting and he said to Josai that it's either me or management and management and referring to Sean Marks and Steve Nash obviously being the head coach it seems that Kevin Durant is very uncertain about the direction of, of where this team is heading. And it seems like he wants to get ahead of the mess before it gets any worse. But Josai did not respond well to his ultimatum or as well as Kevin Durant would have thought as he took to Twitter and said, and I quote, Our front office and, and coaching staff have my support. We will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. End quote. Well, what does that mean for Kevin Durant? Well, it seems like he might be a Brooklyn Net for the foreseeable future. As much as Kevin Durant has requested a trade, they don't necessarily have to honor that. And it seems like Adam Silver and the owners are looking to take a certain position now that the CBA will be up for negotiations and definitely gives the impression that the owners want these players to honor their contracts and also in that same article it was documented that Joe Sai is looking to get every asset available in any deal for Kevin Durant and what's also interesting is that the three teams that maintain to be viable options for Kevin Durant are the Celtics the Heat and the Raptors. Now, if Josai thinks that they're going to be able to fleece the Raptors in any capacity and get Scotty Barnes in any deal, I truly believe that they will be disappointed when Masai probably doesn't even pick up the phone. I think it's going to be very interesting for the start of the season to see where the Brooklyn Nets are, to see where Kevin Durant is going to be. This situation is far from over. I still maintain that if Kevin Durant is available and the Nets are entertaining calls, I think the Raptors have responsibilities to see what that price tag is going to be. As again, as I previously mentioned, that he will solve a lot of problems for us in the half court. But 
not willing to mortgage the future in order to get his services and more importantly not willing to mortgage scotty barnes and that brings us to the end of this episode thank you very much for sticking around i know a very interesting way to end off this episode with kevin durant drama it appears that the raptors are still in contention for the kevin durant sweepstakes i'm interested to see what that'll cost and as i've mentioned i do believe that as a management you have a responsibility to do your due diligence and to see how much a player like kevin durant costs obviously if you have to gut your team and trade away core pieces when that trade goes down and you get Kevin Durant back, is that team still going to be a contending team? And obviously, Masai and Bobby want to be a contending team. I just don't see it as at the cost of our core and our future. But stranger things have happened. We'll see how that goes. As I previously mentioned, that normally August is a slow month, so I don't know when again the next episode will be dropping. But if there is news and there is Raptors content, you already know We are going to be talking about it as per usual. Any news in relation to the podcast, Raptors content, you can find it all on the Instagram page at live by the period number three. That is L-I-V-E-B-Y-T-H-E period number three. Follow, like, comment. And until the next episode, everyone, please stay safe. Good people. Peace.